Welcome to Funding the Dream, a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I am Richard Bliss, the Game Whisperer, and your host. And in this episode, my guest is Michael Mindis, uh, the founder of Tasty Minstrel Games. And I've invited Michael to uh, join the show today to kind of talk about some of the lessons learned. Uh, he has extensive experience as a board game publisher, about some of the challenges that are faced with when uh, deciding to become your own publisher. And he also was the, uh, the genius behind the very first mega success on Kickstarter with Eminent Domain. And uh, Michael, I just want to say welcome to the show. Well, thank you. And I want to add that I was not the only genius behind it. Seth had a lot of, uh, Seth provided a lot of help with that too. So he did. And Seth, uh, um, is a Seth Jaffe. Seth Jaffe is a key, uh, a key partner in a lot of your creativity over there at Tasty, Tasty Minstrel Games. Uh, we're going to have yep. to get Seth on the show here and talk about some of his experiences as well. So Michael, uh, tell me a little bit about, uh, Tasty Minstrel Games and how long you guys have been around. Well, I um, I was planning to start publishing back in 2005 when I was about to graduate from college. Uh, my wife and I found out that she was pregnant with our first child, and we were very excited about that. I had the opportunity, instead of going into a risky business where I would borrow money and not be sure of what would happen, to uh, instead become a financial advisor, and I begrudgingly... Uh, decided to do the right thing and be a responsible father. And uh, so it took until March of 2009 for me to actually start Tasty Minstrel Games. And um, was there anything else that you wanted to know about that? So so now Tasty Minstrel Games, what was your first game that you came out with? We had two games that came out at the same time, Terra Prime and Homesteaders. They were available. We airshipped some copies. Uh, directly from the factory to BGGCon in 2009, and then got into distribution in 2010. And at this point, we have actually published and delivered seven games, and we have another three for sure for 2012 that are already ready to go, and another handful that are ready or almost ready to go. Okay, so you you are a busy guy. I am a very busy guy, especially considering now I don't only have uh, one child. I have three, and we'll have four in March. So. Oh, my. Oh, my. You're and, staying very busy. Yeah. Boys, yeah. girls? Uh, I, when the next one's born, I will have three girls and one boy. Oh, way to go. I have five daughters. Never quite figured out how to make that boy, so congratulations on that. That'll be, a, that'll be a lot of fun, and you'll have a handful, won't you? Yeah, well, you would know. I would. You know, one of the drawbacks of, uh, of having no boys, and I'm going to be very uh, angled here for those people who are listening, I cannot get them interested in war games. I'm, I enjoy the war games. <laughs> I cannot have been able to get them interested in war games, but they, everybody in my game plays, uh, at my house plays board games. But I have got them interested in Wings of War, and you and I were talking before the show that uh, that's a game that uh, we've had a lot of success with, and Wings of War isn't perceived as a war game, so I'm going to have to figure out a, a, a way to introduce them. Now, I'm going to take that back. Um, I introduced my six-year-old to Commanding Colors Ancients, a uh, Richard mm -hmm. Board game put out by GMT. She liked the fact that she could roll the dice and see the horses and the little soldiers and the little stickers. She liked all of that. So we played <laughs> a game. I taught her kind of the concept of the cards, uh, the different... And she beat me five flags to one. 
Uh, I decided that, I decided that I'm not sure I'm going to wish for that anymore. We'll just go back to playing Ticket to Ride, <laughs> which, right. which they beat me at as well. And uh, they beat me at everything. So, but we do play a lot of games at my house. And I look forward to your family having that same experience as they grow older. That's so much fun introducing them to new games. Yeah, it's nice. My, my oldest daughter, she's six, and she really understands how to play and really enjoys uh, Martian Dice, one of the games that we've made. Yeah, and then I saw that announcement. And right now, so let's talk about some of the successes you guys have had. Eminent okay. Domain was the right. first mega game on Kickstarter. That was the one that kind of kicked this thing off about just about a year ago, right? Yeah, we, uh, we concluded funding about 13 months ago at this time. And how much did, uh, do you remember how much that raised? Oh, 4,356, if I remember correctly, but who's counting? Wait, 43,000. No, no, sorry, 48,356. That's right, 48,000. And at the time, that was an insane number on Kickstarter because up until that point, uh, Alien Factions did you know 14,000. That was considered a success. Here you guys come along and do $48,000. Uh, yeah, that represented 1,356 copies. That's, and that's a lot of that's a lot of copies because you see some projects out there on Kickstarter that are doing you know two three hundred backers to to meet their goals. You want to, do you have any uh, theories about uh, kind of what what prompted that? Uh, how Eminent Domain kind of tapped into that vein so early and uh, caused that uh, huge spike? Because that number stood for quite a while. Well, it stood um, for you know for the past year, and now I don't even know where you're on on the uh, at forty eight thousand. You're struggling to stay on the top ten list. No, at 48,000, we're still number, let's see, there is uh, D-Day Dice, obviously, now, and Glory to Rome, and Alien Frontiers Factions, and uh, uh, Flashpoint should be the only ones ahead of us. So we're still number five. Okay, all right. If I edit up correctly. You yep. shouldn't do, I've heard from others, you should not do math while being recorded. No, and I, uh, I do it every time, and I can't, <laughs> I can't ever figure it out. So, so Eminent Domain... As far as... How, how it happened. Yeah, how did, how, yeah. how did that happen? Well, we had a uh, sizable uh, fan base existing from our previous titles and mainly from ongoing customer service, and, and people had a lot of uh, respect and uh, trust for what we were doing. And so when we started, we had... You know, a handful of people over the first week, I believe we had 99 backers as a result of that. And um, it wasn't just that we had fans, but I could contact them at will via email because they had opted in to the, give me the capability to email them about things. And so from those first 99 backers, then we posted what was going to be a preliminary uh, cover image it was like the first step that was planned, right. but everybody loved it so much, uh, and it, it quickly became the uh, the number one image on the hotness for Board Game Geek, which then led into us being on the hotness for the for, for nine days ongoing. Uh, n I'm not just on the hotness; we were number one on the hotness for for nine days going, which drew a lot drove a lot of attention. And people just looking at the at the game, uh, we made it easy for people to, and it, because it's a card game, the print and play, which we made easy for people to obtain, 
was a uh, something where people could actually play the game and like it. And the efforts of a handful of individuals that printed it out and played it and loved it. And they played with a lot of people, and that really, really helped us out. Okay, so it sounds like, um, you, sounds like you then touched on several key components that people have now begun to identify, and you guys did it right from the get-go, and that is built up a following before the game was made available, had mm-hmm. reviewers talking about the game before it got out there, had great artwork that people could look at, and then had a, uh, had a group of people that you could reach out and communicate to to promote the game when you get it onto Kickstarter. You had all those components in place before this thing even went to Kickstarter, right? Um, we had a lot of them in place, and a lot came along the way as people requested them. Um, but if I could do a really quick, I, I want to thank people I specifically remember who helped uh, move a lot of that activity, and I'm probably forgetting some people and. Sure, this so is like the Academy Awards. They, I'll, I'll just stop yeah. the music when you've, got, when you've run on too long. Okay. Uh, so um, David Etherton and Kenny Van Osdell, uh, Carlos, whose name I am not remembering at this moment, his last name I'm not remembering, um, Hank Panthieri, I think, I think that's how you say his last name, uh, and now I'm drawing a blank for anyone else. That's but all right. They'll come to, they'll those come individuals to... helped out a lot. And so this cadre of uh, volunteers made it possible for you guys to kind of, they, they formed the nucleus for you to launch this eminent domain and make it successful on Kickstarter? Yes. Did I you really? I believe so, yeah. What, were you, what was going through your mind when this thing started to, uh, you know, now we're looking uh, with, what, let me just come back to that. What went through your mind as this thing started to climb and you saw this thing just going so far above what you had asked, what was going through your mind? What was going through my mind was I didn't need to drop the the funding target level, which I did because I didn't think we would make even the – I was unsure we'd make the 20000 we ended up asking for, um, but I w- wanted to get – wanted to raise 25000 That was the first thing that went through my mind. Oh, how nice. Um, but after that, it was just, um, you know, this is cool and – We'll keep giving people what they want as much as possible. I think over the month or so that it was available, uh, that Seth and myself got very little work done in our day jobs. But we can say that because our employers don't listen. <laughs> don't listen to the podcast. Right. Correct. And it's been, it's been a year, right? Uh, the statute and limit- it's been a year. statute of limitations ran out on that one. Yeah, uh, I don't so- know. So um, after that experience with Kickstarter, you currently have a project on Kickstarter right now. So this is your second project on Kickstarter? Uh, no, uh, Kings of Aaron's Steam just uh, finished a while ago. Oh, that's right. Right. Kings of Aaron's Steam made the top ten list, barely. At the time, and that's ever-changing, as, right. as we know. So Kings of mm-hmm. Aaron's Steam is currently sitting at number ten. And I got bad news for you, uh, Michael. Eminent Domain is sitting at number eight. Number eight? Number eight on the all-time top ten list right now. Number eight. Things are moving fast out there. You blink and suddenly uh, nobody remembers. So D-Day Dice, uh, number one. Uh, what do we got from number two? The number two is Alien Factions, Frontiers Factions. Glory to Rome. Mm-hmm. Then brand new, Muscatonic School for Girls, uh, 63,000. And okay. then Creatures. 
uh, 56,000. And then Flashpoint. Oh, and then a current mm -hmm. active project that just has surged within the last two days, uh, Schlock Mercenary. And it's at now, I think, 52,000. Oh, nice. And then Eminent Domain, 48,000. So, uh, Good for Nick. I know Nick. He's Nick, a nice guy. Over at... Uh, Nick, Nicholas Vitek, yeah. Okay. And, over uh, at uh, Living World Games, I think. Yep, the that's the one that's doing the Schlock Mercenary board game with Howard Taylor, mm -hmm. uh, intellectual yep. property there. It is fun to watch uh, everybody have... I, I like to see everybody get a chance to get into the top 10, even if they don't last there very long, because it's just kind of fun to see the evolution of this whole Kickstarter experience. With, you've been doing it now as long as anybody. And what do you take on it? Is Kickstarter, are we seeing a peak? Or has this thing got some legs to sustain itself, in your opinion? Uh, I don't know. The, for every person that is likely to say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm not going to support any more projects because of this reason and that reason. I'm sure there's at least one person to replace them and probably more that's just specifically interested in finding board games. And so, uh, you know, it's, it'll have legs, and even if it doesn't, existing, proven people, publishers, designers, whoever may want to put a project up, they will have enough to receive funding. And it'll probably continue to grow. You know, you might see uh, somebody just throw something up there, and they and they they not just throw something up there, but you know, the existing publisher or designer, and thirty thousand dollars is is not a difficult thing to imagine. You know, it'll probably still be difficult to hit these sixty, seventy, eighty thousand marks that uh, hundred and seventy right. whatever. That uh, you know, but there's yeah, there's a lot of room here. Okay, that's and my opinion. Now you have experience publishing games. You've done this yourself. Um, mm -hmm. You got some advice because there's some people out there who've got some great game ideas. They're looking at Kickstarter. They're seeing a way to raise thirty thousand dollars. They think the money is the hard part, and uh, they're going to put that out there. They get the money, and now what? Are they? Uh, are they in for a rude awakening? Are there some challenges out there that they're going to have to address? The money is, is well, yeah, it's the hard part. When I, um, however, when I started publishing games, I funded out of my pocket, so I had money. For me, the money was the easy part, and it, and it has been, um, and it will continue to be thanks to Kickstarter and ongoing sales and so forth. But the difficult part is in manufacturing, getting things delivered on time, uh, accounting for the cost of ocean freight, which is always changing, uh, pleasing people after the fact. Uh, you know, you, you don't deliver on time, people are not going to be pleased. You don't uh, do exactly what you said, people are not going to be pleased. Uh, even if you do exactly what you said, but there was a different interpretation of what you said. People are not going to be pleased. That's just the tip of the iceberg on doing things well or doing them right. Then if you want to actually continue publishing games in the future, you want to be a game publisher, uh, or want to continue printing this game and have it provide you with an income, now you, you're talking about 
getting distribution, having good retail contact, getting good um, not just into distributors, but retailers need to want to buy the games from the distributors. Customers want to, buy, you know, consumers have to want to buy it from the retailers. And one thing, one hurdle that a lot will not, a lot of people will not expect that will be there is the distribution, which is incredibly difficult. I, um, you know, even with the success of our previous games, including Eminent Domain, Belfort, and Martian Dice, I still don't have a great distribution footprint for Tasty Minstrel. It's, you know, better than it was, but we don't have 500 retailers that are just, yeah, we're going to carry your product all the time. And that is the kind of thing you need if you want to be a game publishing powerhouse. So what's preventing and, you from what's preventing you from getting that? Is it uh is it time and resources just having you got to take somebody full time to really focus on building those relationships? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. It, and in the end, I think what a lot of people lose sight in in business in in running any business is that in the end for somebody to make a purchase of your product whether you're selling a board game or you're selling you know uh, technology security things uh, you know products somebody has to make the decision to buy it an actual person and the more quality good relationships you have with individual people that trust your judgment and are willing to open up their wallet and hand you money on a regular basis. That's what you need. Whether that is a consumer that's going to buy it and potentially support on Kickstarter, or whether that's a retailer that's going to buy it and then promote it and resell it to consumers, or that's a distributor that's going to bring in your game, stock it, resell it to retailers or a uh you know a foreign company uh, another publisher that's going to license your game to publish in another language it's all about the individual relationship with those people and so, i think that's missed a lot okay so as uh, we've only got a couple of minutes here as we wrap up then um, let's talk about that. What, what advice do you have? Now, you admit that uh, it's, your relationship isn't as strong as it could be. Uh, what advice would you pass on to people who are, uh, are kind of coming along behind you and are looking to solve that problem? What advice would you pass on to build those relationships? Um, have, have the, give people the opportunity to talk to you. Give people the opportunity to email you email you directly. When people email you, maybe it takes you a couple of days to get to them, but you provide a thoughtful response. Uh, you know, at this point in time, I get so many emails that I have very little time to provide a thoughtful response on an individual basis. But just the other day, I had someone email me a question about publishing, and I, I do write about the process a lot. And I said, I emailed him back. I said, thanks for asking this. It's a really good question. I will um, post something soon about it, and you should, you know, make sure that you, you get to read it. But it will come. It's just that I'm not going to take the time to answer it 
individually for you without making it available to everybody else and it'll take me a while to get to. People appreciate the fact that they're talking to the owner, the, the creator, the publisher, and they're taking the time, especially if they know that they're busy, to communicate, them, communicate with them on an individual basis. And uh, that's, that's the best way to go. Um, Any other uh, places they can reach out to? Are trade shows making a big difference? Uh, conventions? Or uh, direct mailing? Are you picking up the phone and calling retailers? How are you, you finding this relationship? How are you establishing this relationship? On, on the retail, unless it's an individual consumer, I, am, I have that personally outsourced to uh, people that sell my games on a performance basis. So I have other people calling, <coughs> excuse me, calling retailers, calling distributors. Uh, I just I don't have the time to do that. But as communication comes in from consumers to me, I answer it, and I also actively communicate outbound. Got it. Okay. Well, Michael, I want to say how much I appreciate you taking a few minutes. Uh, I know that you are busy. We we've talked about how just how busy you are, particularly this time of year. And with your family. Thank you very much for taking the time and sharing with us some of your insights around Kickstarter and game publishing. Hey, Richard. It was a, it was a pleasure to do that. And uh, we should do it again because I've only scratched the surface. I think so. If you want to. I think so. And I think that's a great idea. We will uh, schedule another one of uh, these visits to uh, kind of talk about more in depth some of these topics. You have been listening to Funding the Dream a Game Whisperer podcast for Kickstarters. I am Richard Bliss, your host, and I want to say thank you for listening. Take care.